It's May 15, 2019. This is Acacia Thompson for Brooklyn Public Library's Greenpoint Oral History Project for Our Streets, Our Stories. I'm here today on West Street in Greenpoint, Brooklyn with Felice Kirby. Hi, Felice. Hello. So tell me, Felice, as a community organizer, how long have you been in the North Side? I came to Northside Williamsburg, hired as a professional community organizer in 1979. I was hired by the late, great Adam Vineski, who had led a resistance to the city budget cuts of the 1970s by bringing hundreds of North Williamsburg residents together to occupy the local firehouse engine company 212 for almost two years and thereafter negotiate a reopening of the firehouse and the birth of a local community development organization to address the abandonment that was creeping through the area. So can you tell me a little bit about what the area was like when you moved or when you came to, to Williamsburg, the waterfronts? When I came to work here and even previously when I had been an organizer working on unemployment issues and I spent some time at the old unemployment office on Broadway, this community was an, an aging factory town. The majority of people had jobs as warehouse workers, as um, manufacturing laborers, as city workers, and the community consisted of many generations of residents living in the same multifamily apartment buildings together. Quite a bit of owner occupancy. An owner would live in the building and have uh, many members of their family occupying other apartments. In addition, because the rent was very low, there was a tremendous amount of immigrant residents. I had a job as a tenant organizer, and sometimes if the landlord wasn't providing services and we needed leverage to get the landlord to do their job, I would wait till the mailman opened the big drop door to put in all the envelopes, and I would take a picture of the many Polish names for each apartment, up to 25 people per apartment, sleeping in eight-hour shifts, being woken up, and then proceeding to work in factories or construction jobs. That was a different day. Nowadays, you wouldn't see that kind of dormitory-style use of the apartments. The area has become so valuable property-wise and pushed out so many of the low-income residents who were either cheated by unscrupulous landlords or just priced out by the rising value of property here. Right, and so how do you, and currently how it is here in Williamsburg and how, what's happening here in Greenpoint, what can be done? How can we help people Well, it's stay? a 380 degree change from a time when my job was to read the tax rolls, the utility payment records, and predict where a landlord would be abandoning their property, where a business would be shuttering their storefront and try and talk to them and persuade them to stay offering the tools in an organizer's toolbox, whether it's refinancing a mortgage, home improvement activity, uh, a tax payment schedule, uh, and if the landlord as Frequently in the 19, late 70s, early 80s, the landlord would not show an interest in the property. Then I would uh, mobilize the tenants into an association. Often there would be a rent strike, 
and with the money withheld, uh, the residents would end up in housing court with a legal services lawyer. And we often petition the court to allow a court administrator to run the building so that there would be heat, there would be hot water, there would be plumbing services. And then if the landlord continued to fail to pay taxes, we helped the whole community development movement in North Brooklyn, which would include Lasuras, St. Nick's, North Brooklyn Community Development, I would say we helped hundreds of units of housing become forever affordable by training and mentoring the tenants to form low-income co-ops to take over ownership of their building. So all of this activity of fighting to preserve quality of life as a tenant and trying to stop abandonment was going on through the 80s. And then a change started to happen. And um, the first signs of the change were the emergence of members of the creative community and, and young people fresh out of school moving into the very affordable housing units in buildings that really were not prime properties that wealthy New Yorkers would want to purchase. Uh, tenants were moving into wood frame buildings that were legendary, uh, fi high fire risk, difficult to insure. They were moving into small family homes. There are no tenant protections in those homes. And uh, increasingly, creative people were moving into the loft buildings that were up to over 100 years old, didn't have steel girding, and were not that useful for alternative uses. So first we started to see a population change before anything else. So we were seeing a population change, but in the early and mid-80s, all the signs of abandonment were still very obvious. The area was redlined. That means that if a potential homeowner wished to purchase insurance to cover their property or to acquire a mortgage at a fair rate was extremely difficult to secure any conventional lending. I was part of a team of activists, again, with Lasuas and St. Nick's and the People's Firehouse, who formed a group to research the degree of redlining and then to approach local banks and demand that they make mortgage money available under the Community Reinvestment Act, another organizer's tool that was very valuable in the 70s, 80s, and 90s to see just financing in historically low-income communities and communities of color as well, where there was just straight-up discrimination. In this area, we also continue to see a lack of services for the majority of residents. The uh, records of the city of New York would show that hundreds of properties had multiple, multiple violations for failure to provide heat, hot water, adequate plumbing. We would walk down the street with a map, a property map, and we would map the properties where windows were obviously broken, the front door was open and unsecured, the sidewalk wasn't swept, uh, and this was a common occurrence in many locations on each block, side by side with very well-kept property where the owner was an occupier, 
perhaps had family and did keep up the property. So these are the conditions we saw in the 80s was a slow murmur of a new population arriving and still a loud scream of inadequate services and um, open vacant storefronts. In the midst of these two realities, um, other events started to happen. In the big picture, the um, real estate community seems to have summed up lessons learned in Soho downtown Manhattan, in Hoboken, New Jersey, in other countries of the world where uh, available public transportation to a central city can make a property that is undervalued much more valuable. And we began to see listings in the Village Voice, which back then was a very significant New York weekly, for uh, an area of New York called uh, uh, Williamsburg or Billyburg. Uh, and the New Left Bank was a glaring headline on the cover of New York Magazine. And we began to see listings in the New York Times real estate section for Williamsburg. And previously, our community was never publicized under that name. And those of us who lived here really more often referred to our community by the sections of the neighborhood where uh, populations aggregated, such as Northside or Southside or Italian or Central Williamsburg. We began to see these notices in the papers in the mid-1980s, um, along with advertisements for rents that were still very affordable, but slightly higher than what the New York housing regulation for rent seemed appropriate, as we knew the rent laws as tenant organizers. And we began to feel that our area was actually being marketed. We were becoming like a lure for uh, people from all over looking for affordable rent and proximity to Manhattan, which is in fact what happened throughout the later 80s and 90s. It was not the slightest bit unusual for young people to be just walking through the streets asking if anyone knew an apartment. We began to see real estate brokers. There was a famous early broker named Ken Furpo, uh, who was kind of notorious for marketing the area to people from outside of the area who knew nothing about the rent laws. And he became so notorious that a local punk rock band actually wrote a rock and roll song. Um, uh, somebody can probably find it on YouTube. Anyway, throughout the 80s, uh, myself as an organizer and my many colleagues were well aware of competing pressures. On the one hand, we were doing deep property research and identifying buildings that were clearly overinsured which is a high probability for an arson for profit fire. On the other hand, we would go into buildings where tenants had come to us and weren't receiving services, and when we went door knocking with our tenant committee of volunteers, we would inevitably meet college-educated, middle-class people who had come into the area for the low rent and were practicing artists, musicians, creative people, a very different population 
than had been living in the community the prior couple of decades. So faced with these two realities, we began to do much more public organizing. We started a tenants council that met publicly every month in the basement of the old Greenpoint Savings Bank, now Capital One, and up to 100 residents would come to these meetings from Greenpoint and Northside Williamsburg, and we would have a clinic where we would teach a class on what your rights are under housing law, and then we would take questions and answers, and we would always bring a lawyer and pair people up with a housing rights lawyer if there seemed to be an unfairness. And we had politicians come to our meetings, we had landlord groups come to our meetings, a very effective community leader now, I met there because she as a small homeowner was worried that we were uh, preaching uh, wrong information to tenants and starting a lot of trouble, but she came to our meeting and was very impressed that we had accurate information about housing law. And she started sending the small homeowners, encouraging them, learn the law, treat your tenants right. So I would say one thing about the history of Greenpoint Northside is that under the leadership of longtime community residents like Adam Vineski, um, we were trained to approach our work in the community first as community building. Uh, we were discouraged from going on rent strike or putting signs in our buildings saying rent strike until the landlord had been reached and had been given a chance to do the right thing for his tenants. And in fact, I went to many tenant meetings to talk to the tenant association accompanied by other small homeowners from the board of directors of the People's Firehouse. So I, I think this tradition of building up community is um, an approach that was also taken by St. Nick's, by Los Lourdes, later by El Puente, by um, Northside Community Development Corporation. And it's a rich, effective tradition. Perhaps we learned it from some of the earliest activists in our area, such as St. Peter and Paul, or uh, Trinity Church, or um, Epiphany, where organizing was going on among the families to address tough quality of life issues and fight for justice, but also uh, bring your community together in that fight. So this is what was going on in the 1980s. Properties were still uh, not having robust investment, but a new population was coming in. If you read the newspapers, you might see the writing on the wall. And faced with that situation, I had the um, luck of knowing one of the small homeowners, an uh, aging couple who wanted to retire, and cajoled me and two partners to take over their building and a vacant storefront to put in a bar and grill in what later became Teddy's Bar and Grill on North Avonbury Street, a very uh, beloved community institution where we had live music and food and we were open seven days a week and we were open for community meetings and all kinds of gatherings. And when we opened our door, I felt like we were the first um, venue that was open to people of all colors, races, ages. And for that, we received a certain amount of blowback from our neighbors who were very angry that we were not operating as the insular club of just the neighbors who knew each other as had been previous operating practices at many locations in the area. 
but we were happy to welcome especially young people, music, the Latino community, all religions and races. And as the years went on, that um, openness of the community really did become one of the very nice features of the new community that moved in. Um, it was certainly my experience that they were not racist. They were really open to fraternizing, living next door to, and fraternizing after work with people from all ages and walks of life. And we saw a lot of fantastic conversations between young art majors, professors, painters, musicians, side by side with um, longtime truck drivers, milkman delivery guys, telephone operators, con ed installmen, and that was the life that I saw operating Teddy's Bar and Grill in the late 80s when we opened and into the first half of the 90s. And so considering all the work that you've done with, with tenant organizing and work with them, what do you sort of see the issues, how the issues have changed now in the North Side Moving Point for people? So the period of having a beautiful mix of people didn't last that long. And I don't know, maybe that is the way of many large cities where there's disinvestment and then there's reinvestment. And that reinvestment brings in people with more money. It brings in real estate sharks, development. Uh, it brings in change zoning, up zoning that makes property more valuable. And the pressure on the community is very high to move out anyone who's paying low rent and move in people who can pay a higher rent, uh, tear down property that's aging, uh, put in upscale development. And that's the pressure that came into our area uh, by the um, late 90s. And it was common that neighbors who did not have rent protection were asked to move out by their landlord so that the rent could be doubled and just keep going up. So we began to see a lot of change of population in the late 90s and certainly into the 2000s. The population got much younger. We went from a community where I had written uh, grants using dem uh, demographics from the U.S. Census. We had the most aging population in the entire city of New York, the fewest new births, the greatest number of elderly, and that was based on the 1980 census. To fast forward 2000, and we had one of the highest growing populations of young people and a reducing number of seniors. The, so the pressures for rising rents and evictions were great. Um, the turnover of storefronts had completely changed from vacant storefronts to storefronts at just astronomical rents that are very difficult for a um, retail operation to sustain. And um, this kind of pressure continued until 9-11, which put a big damper on things for about two to three years. And then the pressure built up again sort of insanely to 2007 with rents along Bedford Avenue approaching $20,000 a month um, and apartments um, leaving legal regulated rent 
with landlords offering illegal buyouts, evictions, and again, the economic downturn of 2008 put a damper on that activity only for probably two or three years. So looking out on today's world, we've had a tremendous transformation of this community where there were generations of families, a lot of working people, a lot of stability, a lot of immigrant uh, residents. Now we have a community where we still have poverty, we still have an immigrant backbone, we still have generations of family and elderly, but that's the minority. Uh, the majority of apartments are being marketed to younger people and to incomes that are well above the average median income for New York. And I have come to work in a relatively new nonprofit which is addressing one of those pressures, economic pressure, inequality, food insecurity. And that's the North Brooklyn Angels, which is probably typical of the type of organizing that has become more prevalent over the past uh, couple of years as the neighborhood has, has faced so much economic pressure. I think that the uh, score of community nonprofits that do work to help fight for the interests of residents and working people in the area have all moved into more of a crisis mode than we were facing in the 80s and 90s. Uh, what we've been facing the past couple of years is a struggle to enable longtime residents to stay in the community and for their children to grow up and acquire housing here. The cost of housing is so high that a working person uh, frequently can, is just not able to stay here unless they have really appropriate uh, rent regulation. So now we try to help residents whose meager income just doesn't cover their rent get food. We have a lot of laborers coming to our soup kitchen, the North Brooklyn Angels, to get a meal. We have, uh, these are day laborers. We have families with a large number of children. The rent's just too high. They can't buy food and make the rent. And we have a lot of people whose existence was marginal for decades, heavy drinkers, substance abusers, maybe some mental illness, but they could live here. They could hold down a job, they could pay their small rent, maybe they had a couple of roommates. When rents are starting at $2,000 for a walk-through apartment and your income is a couple hundred dollars a week, you're just not able to pay a rent like that. So we're seeing more homelessness and um, substance abusers who grew up in the area, live in the area, coming to the North Brooklyn Angels uh, soup kitchen. We're also seeing hundreds of volunteers seeking to give back some of the new people who come and do cook in our kitchen and give service at the truck. They join community-supported agriculture groups. They join um, environmental action groups. They join the movement around um, St. Nick's Alliance to fight for affordable housing at the old Greenpoint Hospital site. They are getting, some of them are getting involved, and that's great. But this is a big change 
from decades ago. And I think ultimately government policy did play a role and could have done a better job. So I'm interested in your opinion about if you think that it's an inevitability, what happened has happened in Williamsburg is going to happen in Greenpoint. I know we're going to be getting a similar waterfront. Do you think that the interior of Greenpoint is going to sort of reflect what's happened to Wythe and Barry and Kent as far as population change? Unfortunately, I think Greenpoint might be even worse because there's so many small family homes and they're already um, were sold at pretty top dollar. Any sales that have gone on probably in the past nine years were not bargain sales. So if an owner is going to leave their property, they're going to seek, I would say, million dollar and up sales will be the way. And once you sell, you buy a property for more than the rent roll can carry, you have to empty the building and change the tenancy. So I, I think that zoning protection might keep the look of a low horizon and um, small family homes. I don't know that that's a greater good. Um, low density in a desirable area equals expensive housing and does not make the housing affordable to working people. I think that there is something to the fact that you might have to have more density to have an environmentally healthy area where you're using the least resources for the greatest good and to have economy of scale where you can provide housing at a more affordable rate or even cross subsidies where more well-off tenants are paying a higher rent and low-income working people are paying a lower rent. So I don't feel capable of predicting the future. I never thought that Northside Williamsburg with its many, many wood-framed um, clapboard housing would ever have gentrified the way it did. I expected the lofts to go that way. I could see that the city was not protecting manufacturing. We brought it to their attention in the 80s. We asked them to come in and shut down the illegal use of loft buildings. Uh, we asked the artists, don't do raves, don't do concerts at night. Nobody listened to us. And those buildings became very desirable. I, I hope some residents have been able to stay on. The landlords who converted those buildings uh, during the zoning change of 2003 have never paid a tax or filing fee to give back to the greater housing need in the community. They illegally rented out their loft buildings, and then they were able to legally convert them when the law changed. Um, Greenpoint has a different history and a different housing stock, but I do feel that without uh, overall comprehensive um, planning and zoning in bigger swatches of the city, you get pushes and pulls and pressure in an area that then drives rents up. And it's difficult to fight that unless you have a great movement that's demanding, as of right, affordable housing, which now is different than when the zoning change happened in Northside Williamsburg. But um, I'm not sure it's really a dramatic enough improvement. Well, circling back to the environment, can you talk a little bit about how it's had an, an influence on your life and where you are? Uh, the uh, issue of the environment in North Brooklyn 
has been a sad backdrop to all the changes here. And further example, I think, of the mighty power of the dollar, that even though this is an area that has extreme pollution problems, and if you go to a brownfield map, you'll see more sites in North Brooklyn than many other parts of New York City, even though there's a toxic map that was developed by North Brooklyn neighbors, great organizing by North Brooklyn neighbors when they were NAG to uh, fight the um, right of garbage haulers to aggregate um, smelly garbage in pockets of the community. Despite all the environmental stress, it doesn't stop residents from moving here. People buy co-ops, they buy buildings, landlords buy buildings, raise rent. Um, I think that the cost of environmental degradation is really a hidden cost, and it's priceless that we have activists addressing this now. We first became aware of the um, depth of the pollution problem in the early 1980s when the zoning allowed, as of right, garbage carters to create holding stations all around Northside Williamsburg. And the stench of the organic garbage was just unbearable. And a giant uh, dump began to grow on the waterfront at approximately North um, 9th Street, North 8th Street. And rats were there, and the community mobilized. That's the founding of NAG, was a movement to fight that garbage dumping and to sue the um, garbage haulers for um, their practices. The city joined in the suit that turned out to be a mob-run enterprise and um, began the... Um, Northside didn't get the brunt of the oil pollution, of the industrial seepage pollution that was going on in Greenpoint that we know of yet. We have, we have places that are brownfields, um, like a really bad one was the lead paint factory on the corner of um, North, I guess they'll call me back, I'm sorry, I've lost the call. The, the corner of North 12th and Berry Street was, um, no, Bedford Avenue, was right called chemical, right called paint. And um, one of my organizers at the People's Firehouse lived um, across the street in 100 Bedford. And she told me one morning, she said, you know, I feel sick. I go down in my basement and I can see paint bubbling up from the drain. And I coincidentally was dating a doctor who, whose best friend was an epidemiologist. And they were in um, science in the public interest. And I told him, and the guy went ballistic. He was like, that's totally illegal, it's probably lead paint, it'll seep through the groundwater, all the apartments. He sent a, um, a New York State inspection team over to the plant and confirmed that for like 100 years they had been dumping their lead paint down the drains. And uh, the plant was closed down um, a, a couple of years later and, and relocated. Uh, no restitution was made to any of the tenants then. This was the beginning years of the litigious um, environmental rights movement. It wasn't that many years after Love Canal. 
and the idea of collecting scientific evidence and suing um, dirty manufacturers was not so common. And we didn't have one institution with which to pursue that. We didn't have an aggressive um, division of environmental protection and conservation for the state. Like I think there is a better attention to that now. So um, we saw the proliferation of these dirty garbage barging businesses. Um, they uh, had no consideration for the community. If if a landlord asked them to close their doors, sweep their street, abate the rats that were coming around, they were like nasty and violent and I was threatened when I spoke on behalf of some landlords on North 10th Street. They, they just, I, I rode over on my bicycle in broad daylight and was talking to the manager on the sidewalk and the manager called some guys over and, and said, Girly, you live around here, you ride your bike around here, we know who you are, just keep your mouth shut. And um, I, I was by no means the only one who would get threatened to just go along with bad behavior. So it was really great when organizations like NAG started um, flexing their muscles and um, demanding lawsuits, bringing, it, it was a real advance in the organizing here that the next generation of college-educated kids came here and brought some of their skills to help our community movements, such as videographers, such as um, computer research skills, excellent writing skills, um, artistic ability to do, render things and do graphics to motivate people. And the movement that erupted after our housing and community development movement was much more environmental and environmental on one hand and then years later beautification with parks and open space and um, those movements also embrace the middle class that had moved here so sometimes we could form a united front which was great like we did when we faced the mayor zoning proposal we were able to unite the section of the community that cares about aesthetics and um, how much density there is and open space and a beautiful park together with the community that's fighting for affordable housing and we could stand together and ask for a better zoning deal and and i think that's really where we're at today is that um, different uh, income groups live here people with different education and if we're going to thrive as a mixed community um, we need to fight together as a mixed community and respect each other's and champion each other's um, issues, recognizing that some things are much harder to win than others, like affordable housing. <laughs> Maybe it needs that extra oomph. All right, is there anything else you want to say about the North Side that we haven't talked about? I think the history of successful organizing here is amazing and unheralded. For example, I spoke about the firehouse that was saved, the waste 1,000 megawatt weight um, power plant that was stopped, the Williamsburg Bridge was slated for destruction in the late 80s, and the community came together, I think really led by the late, um, recently deceased Luis Acosta Gordon um, and El Puente and brought together the um, immigrant-based community organizations, uh, the Latino community organizations, and the um, Hasidic 
organizations, and we marched back and forth on the bridge and again brought information and research and transparent public accountability to the question of what should happen to that bridge. And eventually the bridge was repaired, not moved, in, in, causing destruction in our community, but repaired. And obviously it's a vital link of uh, Brooklyn to the world, and it would have been absolutely ridiculous to tear it down, but that was City Hall's best idea in its time, and the people fought back and brought really good ideas. The same thing now, Greenpoint Hospital was torn down, and it took, uh, I believe it's a 15, 18-year battle, and now affordable, deeply affordable housing is going to be built there, and all kinds of services that we need, senior citizen housing. Um, these battles, the transformation of this community from a center of pollution and abandonment to a highly desirable area where there's community and caring and open space, this is all the result of the people organizing, fighting for their rights, doing good research, um, trying to make government listen and represent them, and I hope that other communities study what worked here, what didn't, and that the people continue to uh, fight for their rights and cherish um, a very special place. Thank you for your story, Felice. Thank you.